The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm Dr. Stephen Farmer, psychotherapist, shamanic practitioner, author, and teacher and I'll be exploring with you ways to connect with spirit animals, ancestors, spirits of nature, how to heal from trauma, and many other topics. So stay tuned. Well, hello there. This is Dr. Stephen Farmer, a.k.a. Stephen, a.k.a. Um, Dr. Farmer. Anyway, this is a really special show, and I am absolutely privileged to have guests on the show uh, a few people, five people that I know, I probably could have added a few more, but uh, these people agreed to come on to this program, and they are all in their own right spiritual teachers and healers. And the topic today, really, of the discussion is uh, how to better connect with spirit guides. Or if you're new at this and you're listening to this, I think you're going to get some really good tips today about what are spirit guides, what are they about, and how does, how does one connect with them? And also, as importantly, is how do you remain in contact with those spirit guides? So we're going to hear from uh, some different people, questions that they'll ask me, but also conversation about their take on the questions themselves. I admitted <laughs> to everyone, all five of my guests, that I don't pretend to be some kind of uh, guru or expert on how to connect with spirit guides, but I do a pretty good job of it. And they're consistently with me. I know that in my consciousness and in my awareness. So I trust that we'll get some valuable information and some good tips. And God knows that we need a lot of that these days, I think, as guidelines and ways that we can receive guidance, you know, from uh, those beings, ordinarily non-visible as well as visible beings, that can help us um, get along in life and to stay on purpose and to do what we came here to do and to be who we came here to be. So uh, our first guest I want to introduce is uh, Aubrey Lasiki. I hope I'm saying that right, Aubrey. Aubrey has been, I will read a little about uh, of her bio. Aubrey has been studying integrative therapies for over 25 years. What started as a healing crisis became a passion for integrating body, mind, and spirit through hands-on clinical practice. 
She is passionate about, and I know this about her, she is passionate about rebalancing the nervous system as the foundational paradigm shift for 21st century healthcare. Amen to that. Believing self-care should be easy and fun, she empowers people to take their health into their own hands. Aubrey is the co-author of the course manual, Self-Regulation, Creating Habits of Ease, through Power of Ease Keys, K-E-Y-S, powerofeasekeys.com, and founder of the online eating community, We Are the Remedy, through aubreyremedy.com. Aubrey, welcome. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, like I said, I respect every one of you uh, immensely, and uh, my heart uh, feels good you know, to see you guys here and uh, to talk to you today. So yeah, the, the theme and the topic we're going to start off with, at least, is how to connect with and or remain connected to spirit guides. So you had some questions that you had uh, sent me earlier. So let's start with that. Yeah, I was really drawn to the reason I work so much with the nervous system is a lot of uh, what the extra sensory perceptions are that we have from my experience can be very unnerving. And so my very first experience with a, a, a spirit guide was frightening for me. I was fortunate that I was, it was during a healing session and I was with a very talented practitioner who eased me through it. But the, the journey started because of a loss. I had lost my grandmother and was in uh, a lot of emotional turmoil because it was a very sudden, shocking thing that that what it wasn't expected, so, um, a stroke. So those are usually, we don't usually see those coming. And then she was just gone. I've seen a lot of growth through some of these different shocking things that have happened during my life. And it seems to me that I get a lot of clients that come after these shocking events and they're insistent. I lost my loved one, you know, tragically, and I have to stay in communication with them. So I want to uh, connect to non-physical beings and spiritual beings and spirit because of this tragedy. And so that was the part of my question is, how often do you see, or does how often does that seem to to instigate this connection with spirit guides, and uh, and how that plays into the factor? Because um, it's made me as a practitioner hesitant. If somebody already has spirit guides, I love to help with the communication, and if they don't. I'm very gentle and easy about bringing that on because I don't want it to be a scary experience like it was for me, but maybe it has to be scary because it's so unknown to people. And I, and I just wasn't that kind of person that was just born seeing things and hearing things all the time. So um, that that's that's the thoughts that I've been having as we've been getting ready for this um, glorious collection of minds here and spirits. Yeah, I know. Uh, good point. I. I, it's interesting. I think first off, I would say suffering's part of the deal. You know, it's just part of the deal. We nobody wants to go through it, but I think it's an essential aspect to our experience of life. Um, and if you make it through the suffering, uh, whether it's through a traumatic impact like that, like getting, you know, uh, kicked in the rear end, so to speak, you know, by something like that. Um, it does tend to nudge us one way or the other, you know, is to get very dismal and despondent, especially when you've got uh, some sort of uh, guidance from people in this reality, in ordinary reality, 
family, friends, etc., that can support you through this. I cannot stress the importance of community so that you get you start to rebalance and then something comes along that interests you, that grabs your attention, that calls to you. I think that's often the experience that says, you know, there's more to that. Or uh, you hear um, grandpa's or grandma's voice, you know, or you see them. You know, sometimes people see them either on the backs of their eyelids or as if they actually appear, you know, three feet away. Um, I know that uh, when my uh, father died, especially, uh, it was unexpected. He went into the hospital, got convulsions, delirium tremens. He was alcoholic. God bless him. A good man. But, you know, he was uh, caught by that demon and uh, it killed him, basically. And I remember that two days later, when I actually had a visitation, and it was more um, hearing that I could hear his voice. And that's the thing, too, is that people tend to be predominant. I, I found in one of, of three ways of perceiving, you know, visual, auditory, or kin, uh, kinesthetic, or sensory, and uh, some combination of the three, typically. Some people put in cognitive, too, but I believe that's intuition. It's a combination of sensory and hearing. Uh, the thoughts that are going on. That's my way of describing it. So I think you're right about that when someone um, experiences a, a tragedy or a fall or a period of suffering or a loss like that, I think it can be a real platform or a springboard you know, to uh, revising the way that we view reality, period. <laughs> you know, when you start introducing things like that, you're going along pretty normal, you know, uh, so-called normal, <laughs> and you're going along in a you know, going live, live in your life, and then something hits you like that, and some there's a way that spirit, great spirit works, or God works, if you prefer, that introduces you, almost like going, come here, come here, you know, come here, we got something to talk to you about, you know, that will then lead to the perception of spirit guides, and that opens the door to other types of spirit guides too. Yeah, I, I think when we um, have that experience of perceiving a deceased loved one, uh, an ancestor, by the way, then what uh, it can do is lead us to go, well, maybe archangels. You know, I keep hearing about Archangel Michael, you know, or I keep hearing about spirit animals, you know, or I he keep hearing about ancestors. And then there's the possibility there of reaching out to these other again, ordinarily non-visible beings that will um, help uh, help guide us. And again, I, I stress this, and I, I hope I don't keep repeating this throughout the show, but uh, I think that um, the more guidance we have, the more that's available to us, the more we're open to that in, during these very um, troubling times, you know, with all of the earth changes and all the stuff that's going on in the world, is to really get that spiritual guidance at the center. Uh, you know, a simple example, it's so sh very short, is uh, I just got back uh, from a trip uh, last night, and I was a little tired driving home from uh, LAX, one of my least favorite airports, but uh, I got to knock that off, too. <laughs> it's a wonderful airport, you know. <laughs> I'm driving back, and I, I just glanced at something, and I heard very loud and clear in my voice, or in my inner voice, focus. No other words, focus. And it's like, okay. And that does happen to me periodically when I'm driving. And I do notice that that often is when I need that very specific guidance at that time. 
Any other thoughts you have about that, Aubrey? Yeah, it wasn't until um, I had had more of the um, intense experience that I started to look back at like, well, this thing happened that I think actually was spirit talking in before that thing and before that thing. And uh, part of the, um, what, what kind of drove my method to my madness or whatnot was how can, um, my, my experience was very much around being, um, the guide was showing up in a way that I had an idea that my grandmother was going to pass, even though it didn't make any sense at the time. Mm. And so that all came in at once. It's like, I knew this was going to happen and I wouldn't allow that information to come through. So it became a really culminating event of is a big responsibility when this information comes through kind of precognition or, or whatnot and, and being, being very heart centered when accessing this information. And, but it did really start to show me, oh, look at this other time you kind of knew this thing was going to happen. Or look at this other time that you heard this little voice that said, are you sure you want to go down this path? And this is what it's going to happen if you do. So, um, I do have to say that I agree these, these big, uh, events really, it feels like they just like deeply pull off a layer of the veil or something to say, Hey, this is happening. It has been happening. You've been afraid to look at it because you maybe didn't, whatever, didn't want to deal or didn't want the responsibility. But when it was all shown and I can, I can see, feel this being in front of me on a massage table and I'm, I'm feeling it kind of like grow in front of me. And I'm like, this is real and I've had these events right. and I need to stop lying to myself about yeah. them. Yeah. So, so that's more the, the yeah, conclusion of that that brings it forward. So um, I guess I just have a lot of compassion and empathy for people who are really curious about this and then aren't quite sure how to go forward or they're scared. So I'm glad that we're having this conversation so people can feel like, oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah. 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 Uh, and Mark saying, yeah, something just hits you and, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, you just know. Yeah, it's I the, for whatever the training that we get through our family, through our peers, even you know, uh, putting shame, maybe not intentionally, but shame on us about oh, okay, I really don't hear voices. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me clarify that. So then that shuts that out, like you said. You know, we put that out of out of our consciousness, and it's not allowed until we have an opportunity to uh, release those. Um, ingrained beliefs and the shame or let's call it shame. I don't think it's guilt. I think it's shame that has uh, clouded our perceptions in that way, our spiritual perceptions. I think the good news is things are changing. More and more people are starting to pay attention and teachers and healers like yourselves, I think are part of the crew that's uh, beginning to encourage people to engage with spirit in this way with these spirit guides. And then I want to turn to Alexandra. Alexandra, okay, let me read a little bit about your bio here. Alexandra is a psychotherapist, somatic practitioner, and vocal therapist. And she is guiding people to awaken their inner healer using nature and art as a vehicle and creative force of transformation. She is an intuitive singer and is currently leading singing circles, reconnecting people with healing vibrations and guiding them to use their voice as a magnificent tool for growth, empowerment, and medicine for their body, heart, and soul. Alexandra, if you could go ahead and unmute, and uh, let's let's hear from you. 
Yeah, thank you very much for having me here. Hello, everybody. I feel really, really honored to be part of this podcast. And I'm really glad to, to share my experience and to also hear from you. My journey started eight years ago. I started to have all sorts of dreams in which I was led to take actions in my life in order to make that changes that I needed to do. And um, I wasn't scared. I was like a little curious child. And I started in a very intuitive way to um, create a ritual of active dreaming. So I started to um, have a training with Robert Moss about uh, active dreaming. And I started to have a practice <laughs> and connecting with my guides during my dreams. And for a few years, I, I kept doing this. But at some point, I realized that I would want to connect with my spirit guides even on my day-to-day -day life, you know, not only during the dreams. So I started to ask myself, how can I connect? What can I do? What will be helpful for me? Because I didn't know myself. I couldn't hear anything in my day-to-day -day life. I couldn't feel anything in my day-to-day -day life. So I was just listening to them and to their wisdom and to their guidance during the dreams. So uh, in the last years, I started to develop a practice for myself in order to connect. And I'm really curious to know your perspective on this. Let's say that maybe um, part of our listeners are new into this, into this spirit guides topic, and they will maybe um, want to know how can develop how can they develop a practice that could help help them to connect better with their spirit guides uh, excellent question and uh, of course i have some responses to that i don't want to say answers for some reason but responses uh, one the fact that they're asking in itself i think is a cue that says, okay, they're starting on there. They're again, they're getting that signal. And I, I if you're hearing, you can't uh, listening to the podcast, but I'm, I've got that hand motion, like, come on, come on, come on, keep going. And I think if they open their minds with intention, just clear, clear intention. Yes. I want more of this. You know, this is helpful. It's a little spooky because of what I was raised with, but I'm willing to look at it anyway, which requires a certain amount of courage you know, to step out of the mold, you know, to be, in a sense, not normal. <laughs> if we take the, the bell curve as an example, you know, I don't think any of us fit right there at the top of the bell curve, you know, being uh, absolutely normal, that there's something different about us, even if we learn to walk in the world and kind of look normal and act normal. I know that me, I, th I think I look pretty normal. What do you think, guys? Okay, you're all nodding your head. Well, Lisa's not nodding her head, but she's she's giving me a little slack on that. Thank you, Lisa. But anyway, that that we you have to be willing to step out of the mold is another way to say it. Uh, you can still you know go to the supermarket, do the things, and do your work, whatever work might be. It isn't necessarily that you're going to become a spiritual teacher or healer. So number one, meditation. You know, get a practice, a discipline, a spiritual discipline every day. I know for myself, I've developed this over the last, oh God, I think about 11 years, 12 years. 
I want to say just about every morning, not every morning, but just about every morning, I go through a, a, a ritual. Uh, lately, what I do is I read out loud certain prayers, you know, that start the day. Uh, the second thing I do is I sit down and I do like just, I, I call it my diary. <laughs> you know, I journal, you know, this is what's going on. This is what's working me. This is what's learning me, etc. And then I go into a light, I call it a light trance, which is not a big deal. It's just using your breath to start to settle into your body so that you can experience the sensations that go with this. And then you call on, I call in my spiritual team, and that doesn't, it's just my way of describing it. But there might be one or two, uh, again, ordinarily non-visible beings, like an a, a ancestor, you know, a deceased loved one who I consider to be an ancestor. And ancestors aren't just confined to the immediate uh, family. You know, it goes much, much deeper than that. That's, that's all I really want to say at that. But often we relate to or we think of ancestors as uh, part of our uh, lineage. That's, that's cool. And they will come to us. They will come to us, whether in the dreams, like you said, um, or they'll come to us when we do the meditation. Another practice that I think is an excellent one to begin to work with the spirit guides is a shamanic practice. Not about becoming a shaman. That's not the point. There is an organization, I'm part of the board, but it's a Society for Shamanic Practice. It used to be called Society for Shamans or Shamanism or something like that. And I realized not everybody wants to become a shaman. In fact, Forget about becoming a shaman. That's not the point. But there's there's um, tools that you can use in uh, shamanic practice that will help you stay attuned. So that would be my first thing, Alexandra, is like, yeah, morning, evening, whatever. Create a spiritual discipline, and it doesn't have to be complex. Sit down, meditate for a while. Thank you, ancestors. I'm big on ancestors, too. Or spirit animals. A lot of times people will attune to a particular spirit animal or spirit animals as a means to access the, the wisdom. Spiritual wisdom can come through many sources like that. And it might be incidental sources like that person, that important stranger that passes you by and you hear them say something and you go, wow, that was meaningful since that's the third time I've heard something about Eagle. And we look for things like that, too. They're called synchronicities, as you all know. And that's when you keep getting repetitious messages from different sources. A billboard, you know, that announces the, uh, that has a, um, two snakes on it, you know, as a, a moving company. And then you go to the supermarket and somebody's talking about snakes, you know, and then you happen to uh, browse Amazon.com, the book section, and you, you immediately are drawn to one book that says something about uh, snakes and DNA, you know, stuff like that. We uh, have to be open to these synchronicities, the rep repetitious messages that can come from any source. It doesn't have to be just the ordinarily non-visible beings. Yeah, you know, and you're very accomplished, uh, especially doing uh, the work with Robert Moss. You know, I saw Mark, uh, who's done that work, Aubrey. You know, everybody's heard of Robert Moss. I've never experienced that myself, you know, the dreaming. I generally just sleep, <laughs> I confess. But um, I like that you also move from the dream work into 
day-to-day kind of reality as well. Any other thoughts, questions, Alexander? Yes. So thank you for saying that because after the the dreaming part, I started with uh, spirit guides from, you know, the real world, all sorts of synchronicities with animals. And uh, afterwards, I, I kept dreaming wolves that were guiding me and helping me to connect with the, with the animals around here and to receive their messages. And yeah, afterwards, I developed also my, my practices. And it seems pretty similar with uh, what you were saying, because basically what I did was to build an altar uh, and set a sacred space inside my house, trying to cleanse myself and to sing and to raise my frequency because I, I could see that when I raise my frequency, I can listen better. So doing these kind of things helped me a lot to, to, yeah, to create my own ritual of connecting to, to spirit guides. I like what you're saying. The way you described it is raising your frequency too. You know, yeah. A higher vibration you yes. know, might be another way to put it. Well, thank you. I'm going to move on now, Alexandra. And Lisa McCourt, you're up, my dear. Lisa's a longtime friend, as well as a very accomplished uh, author. Uh, recent book, well, I'll read your bio. It's, it's fairly short. Uh, Lisa McCourt's books about joy and love have sold over 9 million copies, earned seven publishing industry awards, and garnered over 9,000 glowing Amazon reviews host of the Do Joy podcast and founder of the Joy School, go to lisamccourt.com. She generously opens her comprehensive toolbox for joyful living in her newest release, Free Your Joy, the 12 Keys to Sustainable Happiness. Finally, we have <laughs> how to how to how to be happy you know thank you lisa very much thank you so much it's always so wonderful to be with you i love to connect with you yeah so spirit guides so i i think that i have a tendency to mush a lot of things together when i'm you know definitely the foundation of all the work in my joy school and my books is about connecting with what i typically call your own soul's wisdom your own higher wisdom right and especially with you know joy school i can get some muggles in there who wouldn't really be comfortable calling it anything other than your own soul's wisdom but then in my agape community we call it like talking to god and you know in in your world we we look for the actual like you know spirit animals and spirit guides and i'm just wondering how much is it the same thing? I think I had uh, talked to you previously about my two closest deceased loved ones, my mom who died in 2012 and my grandmother who just died. I feel like since they've been over there, I, I talk to them, but the wisdom that comes through doesn't really match the wisdom I remember them having here. <laughs> so then I don't know if there's like an up level when you cross that line to, you know, the insights that you're able to have and everything. So I guess it's kind of a big, broad question, but to my mind, sometimes it's simpler to just feel like we imagine whatever's going to make us most comfortable to have these conversations because imagination is the language of the soul and it is sort of the, the phone line, right? So how much of it is us just, you know, my friend down the street only talks to Jesus because anything else would be like just unheard of. Like how much of it is, is us needing to have something comfortable to converse with? And how much of it is like actual entities conversing with us? Well, what I, for some reason, and I, I, it's not directly in response to what you described, Lisa, and thank you. Uh, I, 
I think of uh, the term that came up was fundamentalism, and I got to figure out why that shows up right now, is fundamentalism about anything, including what you might call new age kind of practices, although I don't like that word new age particularly. These are old age ways that are showing up. You know, we're again, we're being tagged. I think we are. Whether we're aware of it or consciously aware of it or not, we're being tagged. Here's uh, an interesting piece that uh, in I did a three-year training in addition to other trainings in shamanism. And one of the uh, journeys that we took, uh, I think it was the third year, I'm sure it was, was the to journey from the point after death. It was one of the most fascinating journeys. And I've subsequently done that about two other times to check in. And I was blown away by what I was shown, you know, because I, I never had any particular solid beliefs about what happens when we die. And now I've got a couple of them. <laughs> but it was, um, if I can describe it in a very short way, what I was shown is that we do go through a pre- uh, progression in the afterlife, that we go th- through sort of a school. I remember a Japanese film I saw years ago. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a train that took you to this place. And it was all of this disheveled house that you go through, you know, and it's the first stage. Or Albert, uh, what's his name, the comedian, uh, had one with Meryl Streep, you know, where he is uh, to Albert Brooks. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, Albert Brooks has. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really amusing. Anyway, so we do, I think that's one version. And I do want to stress that it's one perspective that I was shown. And I was also cautioned, don't make a religion out of it. That's not the point. This is for you to understand that something happens after death. You know, is it, um, we go through a progression, basically about 12 uh, phases that we go through and we start to acquire uh, a deeper kind of wisdom. So someone that dies uh, may go through an initial phase and then they move on to a next phase and they gather this, um, what did Aldous Huxley call it? Something like eternal wisdom, that there, there are t- eternal truths that they're shown and that they can then convey. The other thing I was shown is that as um, our soul goes through these progressions, we may come back to the planet and um, be able to communicate through whatever vehicle works. We're able to communicate to those who are still physically embodied that wisdom. Yes, we acquire wisdom in that way. Another take on it and again, it's another perspective, is that we are consciousness embodied. You could say spirit, but I like consciousness as well. We are consciousness embodied. And that when the physical body dies, we blend into the larger field of consciousness, but still somehow we're able to retain or access the memory of what it was like to be physically embodied. So we got a little of both. We both have that access to a greater um, eternal wisdom, as well as a memory of that, I want to say, encapsulation that we had (laughs) in the physical body, so that we're able to then know who we need to uh, attend to, let's say, that are still in the physical realm. So uh, that's a couple of different perspectives. You know, it, it doesn't mean... Any one perspective is right. Like, again, what I was told is don't 
you know, don't be fundamentalist about this. You know, it's not, hey, let's go and let me teach you about the 12 stages of this, that, or whatever. I did find a, uh, there was one, something I came across that was interesting that had a very similar model of 12 stages. And I wish I could remember what that was and apologize for that. But there are, th- there are other traditions that teach it a little different way. Anyway, that uh, this that that's a model that really worked for me. You know, it it gave me some uh, clarification because I didn't really think much about death. I'm fascinated now. I'm absolutely fascinated by it. Maybe it's because I'm a little closer to the gate. I don't know, or I can. The end of the road is out there, not too far. I just can't see it yet. <laughs> so oh, very much so. One one other piece I want to say, as you all know. You know, my gig has largely been called to talk about spirit animals and ancestors. So I tend to focus on those two elements of how we receive messages. And often a um, beloved ancestor, human, can come through. There are reports after reports I've gotten of after grandma dies, and it makes me a little emotional to say this, grandma dies a white dove, for instance, lands on the table where I'm having my coffee. Now, uh, some say, well, that's grandma. I don't think so. I think it's a courier, a messenger from grandma that says, peace, you know, I'm fine, you know, and it's good to hear that, you know, when we're going through our grieving process about a lost loved one, really, really helpful. I mean, miraculous or butterfly. I remember, uh, what was it in Peru? A butterfly landed on my nose. And this was shortly after my father had passed. And I took that as a courier, a messenger from my father. Transformation, definitely. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, well, let's move on. To, uh, anything else? So I, I, before we, I leave you, any other comments or questions? Yeah, just based on that that beautiful explanation that you just gave, there was one thing that popped into my mind. I've heard some spiritual teachers say that to elicit the guidance and support of our guides, there has to be a request that they can't meddle with our human free will unless we make that request. And I don't like that idea. And it sounded like you were talking about doves landing and couriers and things like that that weren't at the the response of our request. What What is your thoughts on that? I have some serious questions about free will lately. Hmm. It's interesting. I came across, I didn't read it yet, but um, recently came across a, a piece. I think it was on YouTube or TikTok or whenever, but it was about that same questioning. I don't say it, it isn't true. I'm not quite there yet, but I had a very wonderful spiritual teacher that one day just made that comment and always stuck with me. She said, uh, she was a, the lady in the desert, we'll call her. You know, I would go out and visit with her at eight hours. She'd spend processing. You know, We'd go through conversations and readings and such. And she made that comment one time. She says, you know, I'm not sure I, I any longer believe in free will. I'll let you guys ponder that. <laughs> like we want to think that we have free will, but perhaps there's another force that guides us and then we top it off with, I made a choice here. I don't know. Again, it's a question to ponder or contemplate. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it's, let's take it that there is free will uh, and that we have to solicit the, uh, re- I don't. I just don't buy it. Because uh, I bet everybody could nod their heads on this one that sometimes you just get an inspiration. 
you know, it sort of like drops in the bucket and you go, wow, you have no idea where that came from. I wasn't even thinking about that. Right. And I see most everyone nodding is that it does happen that way. And again, it can be from a, the, the important stranger, somebody in the checkout line at the supermarket. You know, you just never know <laughs> or an event that happens that we were uh, not expecting that might maybe we just nearly missed uh, an accident. You know, how did that happen? You know, we're three cars behind and the cars in front of us got into a, a little fender bender. So, no, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I think that it can come in. And part of it has to do with what we've been talking about is the openness to this. How do we how do we stimulate and uh, re retain that openness to spirit by practice, 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 spiritual discipline, uh, community of like minded people you know, that we can seek support from? Uh, the the willingness to to do the work that uh, will help us be more readily uh, readily engage with spirit in some way, and also just this openness, the heart being the heart being open to this. I, I'm willing to receive any messages that I need right now, and then Bing Bing Bing. There you go. How's that? Well, thank you. <laughs> I keep pointing up like they're all up there. I don't know. There's some down here too. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it very much, and thanks for uh, joining us here. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And next we have Mark McAdams. I'm going to read his bio a little bit here. Uh, for over 10 years, Mark has explored the metaphysical arts through life experiences, research, and hands-on training to, quote, remember, good one, end quote, and enhance his skills in order to help others. Mark has brought to this work via a spontaneous past life memory. He worked with several alternative healing modalities, including hypnosis, such as past life and life between lives, and uh, shamanic ritual and Reiki and something called SMGI. Mark, how are you doing, good, man? Good, Stephen. It's good to see you again. How are you doing, man? How are you doing, man? <laughs> Long are time you? no Steve. Yeah. Joshua Tree was just yeah, a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, questions. The, the questions I had related to my experience at Joshua Tree where, you know, I have a number of guides, spirit animals, as well as other guides that I work with. And you know, a new spirit animal came in at Joshua Tree, which was giraffe. And it made me think, and I kind of know a little bit of the, the answer, but um, I don't think there's such a thing as too many guides, but you also may want to have a hierarchy where you're not taking in all this information. Um, 
but is there a ceremony? Let's say one of my guides is ready to leave because of the process where I am in my life. And maybe when I say leave, I mean just take a back seat, maybe not completely leave. But is there a ceremony or the, yeah, a ceremony that you would suggest that as one of those spirit animals takes the back seat that you could do to honor them and the work that they've done with you for the past six months, 12 months, six years, whatever it's been? Yeah, you just, bye, see ya. <laughs> no, not really. I'm being glib and I'm trying to be silly about it. No, they, uh, that happened to me too with um, Owl was a very significant um I, I, let me back up a little bit too i want to distinguish some terms spirit animal animal spirit guide power animal totem animal and i think this is i'm going to presume Perfect. this is what you were thinking yeah. already yeah um sometimes called totem animals but power animals typically there it could be that someone uh finds one for you there's ways that they can come to you when you get a a repetitious kind of a sighting, whether symbolically or physically of a uh, particular animal, it's always good, I think, to ask, you know, to check in, close your eyes, take a deep breath and say, Owl, for instance, Owl, are you um, joining the forces here as a power animal? And I do mean power animal. That has a different feel to it, number one. And second, it has a different meaning. And that's an, a spirit animal that that comes to you in various ways that it can, again, through uh, a shamanic process, you know, someone, a shamanic practitioner finding that power animal. That is one that's with you for a long time. Owl was absolutely great when I was purely doing psychotherapy. And why? What's owl's medicine? You know, we speak often of the powers of a particular spirit animal as medicine. Seeing in the dark. Metaphor being able to recognize some shadows, one's own as well as the, the ones that the clients that would come in because that's what we do. And I'm sure Alexander could attest to this, you know, as we often work with the shadows that, uh, that we don't necessarily uh, see or that someone else doesn't, uh, doesn't see in themselves. So power animal is a different designation. It comes from shamanism. And again, it's uh, often the practitioner or the shaman will have at least one or two that they work with consistently and that power animal is with you for many years typically sometimes people call that type of spirit animal a totem animal that's okay i'm i'm fine with that but i i generally have a different meaning for totem like i on my altar over here i have representations of different spirit animals that work with me somewhat consistently uh, I don't know if that's a contradictory term, somewhat consistently, that work with me here and there. <laughs> I caught that one, didn't I? Um, that work with me here and there. And I, I, I have representations, maybe ceramic. Uh, I've got this, you know, I, nobody can see it, but it's a little thing to put the coffee on. And who's there? Wolf. So because I was called to do shamanic work and shamanic practice, Oh God, 28 years ago, I think is when I first took a training. It has become useful that there are various spirit animals that have come to me that have remained as power animals. So in order, it was, uh, well, uh, excuse me, snake. I didn't even know what a power animal was or a spirit animal. It was a men's event and did a meditation and snake showed up. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then subsequently learned that that's, 
there's incredible healing power with snake spirit. Uh, and then wolf came at another juncture, and then owl, and then eventually tortoise, and then eventually owl kind of took a backseat, like you said, Mark, and uh, raven came in. And it, it was largely when I really dipped into shamanism that owl kind of took a backseat. It's interesting, too. A couple of years ago, owl started showing up again. So that's a power animal. Totem animal is, like I say, it's a representation or it could be a shared, like in a community or something or a tribe, uh, could be a shared, like totem pole, you know, that there are certain spirit animals that are shared by a group, a community. I heard uh, a while back that there was a 12-step program, an AA group that uh, very consistent members, and they all voted on a spirit animal or a totem animal, you know, to help them. Animal spirit guide, any animal that shows up to you periodically, uh, once in a while drops in, uh, that's an animal spirit guide. It doesn't have to be a totem animal or a power animal. It's an animal spirit guide. That's an important distinction. So can you acquire more than one power animal? Absolutely. I just gave you an example of that uh, over the last 28 years or so. The different uh, spirit animals have come and gone as power animals. And um, I am so appreciative of that. So Back to your question, though, about a ceremony or something like that. I don't mean glib. I was joking about it, of course. But I think there's ways to honor that. Like, you might find a totem of that animal, and you could do a ceremony uh, of farewell, like placing it out by a tree, you know, perhaps even uh, symbolically burying that totem animal, excuse me, that that power animal. So that would be a, a great ceremony. The other thing you do is do a uh, meditation or a journey and ask. Uh, it's one other thing about Michael Harner, who I believe is the man um, who was most responsible for bringing shamanism into contemporary society. He had a few good things to say about that. Um, he, he really felt that with power animals in particular, what you have to do is honor them. You know, And I, I find the best way to honor any animal spirit guides, totem animals, power animals, is a give back, reciprocity. You know, to thank them, to pray, uh, uh, always, you know, my prayers are mainly prayers of thanks um, to, and here's the big give back, give back to animal rights organizations or the animals themselves in some specific way. You know, donate something to Defenders of Wildlife. They work to save the wolf population. Humane Society of the U.S. and possibly in other parts of the world is doing some tremendous work, you know, on rescuing animals. Uh, get a get an animal. I I mean I don't necessarily say a rescue animal, but yeah, if you want to do a rescue animal, that's a oh, what a wonderful service. Uh, but even domestic um, uh, animals that are that are bred, you're taking care of an animal, and that's quite a give back, especially as you do it consciously as a thank you, you know, to the animal kingdom and to the power animals that you work with. So I hope that's I trust that's helpful. Mark. It, it is. Thank you. Appreciate it. So someone earlier kind of turned a light bulb on in my head. They were talking, you were, I think you were talking with them about ancestors and the light bulb that went on in my head is soul ancestors, meaning they may not be hmm. part of your DNA line, but they are part of your soul family. And with my work in hypnotherapy, the past life progressions, the SMGI, that was a great concept for you to bring up for me to 
do journeys to connect with my soul ancestors. So thank you for that. Uh, absolutely. I, I like that term. I've not heard it before, but I like that term. And, and we tend to think, of course, as human beings, you know, our lineage first. And then we might stretch and say, well, not just our lineage, but if you, if you splay out, you know, you do a, a lineage, you know, like this, it ends up in being like a big V, you know, with uh, 752 ancestors, you know, down the line. They're still ancestors. But let's go back before humans were humans. And also, let's take an even bigger stretch. Who was here first? There's a wonderful documentary I'm going to recommend on Netflix. It's called uh, Life on Our Planet. It's a six-part series starting at 4 billion years ago. Uh, I'll give you the creds, and this, if this doesn't impress you. Steven Spielberg exec is the producer. Uh, Morgan Freeman, who has this voice I wish I had, you know, <laughs> is the narrator. And um, uh, third is the team that created Jurassic Park did the CGI's for the beings that were here first. And also, uh, not to freak anybody out, but uh, it also talks about the five extinctions that have happened over the life of the planet, four billion years. But our ancestry, I believe, and it was supported by a fellow I did a podcast with, Mahade Batista, if I'm saying his name right, gave me the same typology like that. He said, in our culture, I think Guatemalan, we, this is what we believe. The ancestry goes very, very deep. So I think that would be, a, that is a good term, soul ancestors. Go out to that tree there. That's an ancestor. Pick up that rock. That's an ancestor. They were here first. Say hello to the plants. They beat us here. Go down to the ocean. Go swimming. See all those beings down there? They were really early ancestors. Uh, it's been said all life comes from the sea. You know, that's where it originated. Isn't that weird to think of that, though, that a dolphin is an ancestor? <laughs> anyway, but I think it's a useful um, way of thinking about ancestries that when we honor our ancestors, it's not just mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. You know, those, those are important. Don't get me wrong. And that's enough but it can extend even further. And uh, I just think that's really important to recognize because then we start to tie it together. Yeah, we really are all from one source. We really are. So yeah, I like that term. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow that one. Soul ancestors, I like that. <laughs> all right, thanks, Mark. Thank you. You got it, man. Thank you for being here too. And... Let's see, who's up now? Let me think about this here. <laughs> the, the woman over in the corner here on the screen. Anyway, Margarita, let me read. Hi. Hi. Let me read about your bio. Uh, an energy work specialist and certified yoga and meditation instructor, Margarita brings over a decade of experience in mind-body coaching and as an end-of-life doula. She integrates ancient practices with contemporary scientific knowledge. Her proficiency in shamanic practices and past life regressions has been pivotal in, pivotal in supporting numerous individuals on their, journey, on their journeys toward personal growth. Uh, website, margaritaembodied.com. Margaritaembodied. I love that. I didn't know that was your website. That's cool. Anyway, Margarita, thank you. Thank you for being here. 
Um, Thanks for having me. It's really nice to be here with all of you. Thank you, Stephen, for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, you're with a good group, I'll tell you. These are powerful individuals like yourself. Anyway, uh, co- questions, and then we'll we'll initiate the questions, and then. Uh, yeah. So um, my question uh, is in two parts, actually, uh, because me and my clients are very like esoterically oriented, and uh, we um, communicate a lot with spirit guides, with different kind of them, spirit animals, ancestors, uh, deities. So it's mostly not a problem for us to connect. Uh, but uh, I can see that a lot of my clients have a hard time uh, to distinguish between uh, whether it's spirit guides or it's just their subconscious talking. And so this is the first like part of my question. What uh, criteria or signs uh, can help to differentiate uh, between your inner voice and the guides talking? And the second part is that uh, sometimes we meet... Uh, not spirit guides, but uh, some energetic entities that uh, can be not very friendly to humans. It's not like they're bad, but it's just in their nature to be unfriendly. And uh, how can we uh, know if uh, they're really spirit guides or just some like energetic beings that uh, can feed off our energy or try to mislead us? Uh, great question. I think my first response would be um, spirit has our best interests. I really believe that. I know that you know, from my own experience. Uh, spirit, through whatever form, whatever kind of guidance, will never tell you to do anything that's harmful. That's the biggest one. I think I would just stay with that. They're not going to... Uh, when that happens, it's ego. You know, it's it's some sort of, uh, you could say, violence, you know, that exists in that individual that gets expressed in words or, unfortunately, sometimes in deeds as well. So that's the first criteria I would say is, yeah, they're not going to have you do something crazy or so outlandish. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes spirit will push us or call us or challenge us in certain ways, but I think when you evaluate when you've been called or pushed or challenged in that way, maybe after the fact you go, okay, thank you. Everybody here, you know, you've heard some of the stories. We've all heard the stories here and there's a lot more. We started with that. You know, there's periods of suffering. There's periods of darkness that sometimes we have to make our way through that darkness and by calling on the light, you know, and I, I don't want to go too far with that metaphor, the dark and the light. But the period of darkness, we can call on those guides that have proven helpful. Second thing, again, back to that that one of our favorite words, synchronicities. What was I was thinking about visiting uh, uh, Oregon, okay? And I said, help me out here, you know, am I supposed to visit Oregon? You know, and specifically Ashland, Oregon. I've got a couple of friends that live there. I cannot tell you. First off, I asked a couple of people, and right away, without his, they said Ashland, Ashland. And then I got other um, messages. I'm trying to recall exactly what they were, but not necessarily from asking people 
oh, you know, should I go to Ashland or not? You know, that happened a couple of times. But more than that, there were other pieces that came through like bing, 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 four, four different times. Okay. And I think my first reaction was, are you sure? <laughs> but that's what, you know, I'm joking, but that's one way that you can be certain that you're getting direct message from spirit through whatever guides um, you happen to work with, or again, incidental guidance from people in uh, ordinary reality. That's a possibility, people or animals or whatever. So that's one thing I think that can help distinguish. What was the other question though? There was one tagged with that. Uh, yeah, so uh, how can you say the difference between spirit guides and your just your subconscious mind talking to you? Yeah, here my belief is that, first off, that spirit does speak to us through the subconscious mind, you could say. Uh, I'm a practicing hypnotherapist, I've been doing it, you know, many, many years. And uh, that was one distinction that was made is that, first off, the conscious mind wants to figure things out and tends to think in black and white, either or. The subconscious mind goes both and. That there can be influences that appear to be dark that aren't necessarily. They might be warning us, they might be cautioning us. But again, they're not going to have, they're not going to instruct us to do any kind of harm. So that's one piece. The second thing is, and I, I, I refer to Aubrey because she's done a lot of work with this, is those of us who are called to this spiritual work typically are empaths. That we, we pick up on other people's feelings. We can pick up, not attract, you know, not necessarily attract intentionally, but we pick up on, you could say in a uh, largest sense, dark energies, you know, ones that might um, inhibit us or bring us down or cause us to be depressed or whatever it may be. And that's a big topic these days, and rightly so, because as a spiritual teacher, healer, it's so important to have that protection with you in a consistent way. And there's different ways. You know, you've heard of the white light. You know, you can surround yourself with white light. When you go into a shopping mall, you know, is to surround yourself with white light. Uh, spirit animals, again, a big pitch for that, you know, is a power animal that you can call on, especially to make sure that when you go into a situation where there's a lot of other people or something like that, that you are well protected from, you could say, psychic intrusions in some way. Third, and there is a process in shamanic work called extraction, shamanic extraction. And what that is, is that you find a practitioner that does this sort of thing. And if you're feeling like you've picked up something somewhere that can work with you and with the guides to be able to uh, remove that dark energy and then put it on its way, you know, properly. And it could be to bury it. To, I send uh, the ones that I've done. Typically, I send to Grandmother Ocean who takes care of it. She transforms it, uh, transmutes it really would be a better word for that. So if in the event something like that does happen and you pick up dark energies, there's a treatment for it. You find a reputable shamanic practitioner, somebody that maybe you're referred to, and you go in and you say, I've got a problem. You know, I, I just feel like I'm weighted down and I keep feeling my gut, you know, just a, a, a tightness in my gut. I keep trying to relax and I meditate and all this, but it doesn't go away. So the, the practitioner will then do a journey, a shamanic journey to his or her guides as to what the proper treatment is. But uh, my point is, and whoever's listening to this, if you feel like you've got some kind of trouble like that, then yeah, find a practitioner that can do a shamanic extraction. That makes sense? 
Yeah, thank you. Anything else? Any other questions? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, the, my last question. If you had some uh, like really memorable experience or story that you can share with us. What's uh, becoming, uh, has become increasingly popular is the use of uh, plant medicine. In fact, in Oregon, um, it's, it's set up now that uh, psilocybin, which is the ingredient, activating ingredient in mushrooms, certain kinds of mushrooms, that will um, sort of take away the veil, you know, and introduce uh, a different kind of reality. And years ago, as I began to do uh, shamanic work, and I'll try to keep this condensed, uh, my buddy and I, Bruce, Bruce Bellman, longtime friend and brother, we decided to do a journey, you know, a medicine journey. So grabbed some mushrooms, went up, but it was a whole different thing. I'm a child of the 60s. You know, I did psychedelics. I did acid. I did, you know, mushrooms. I mean, you name it, uh, mescaline. My, my roommate was selling mescaline. I, you know, let me put this way, a lot of those kind of journeys, but with mostly to see the walls melt, <laughs> you know, and also see trails and, you know, fun things like that, you know, and then freak out on in certain occasions whole different deal. I stopped doing that, you know, long before this ever happened. But I realized that, no, this is sacred medicine and needs to be treated properly. And that's true with ayahuasca too, which you hear a lot about these days. Perhaps some of you have done that. And then uh, the so-called magic mushrooms that have psilocybin. Um, there's others too, but these seem to be the most uh, prominent. So we went up on the uh, Cone Peak in the Big Sur or the Ventana wilderness in uh, mid-California, central California. Beautiful, beautiful. We hiked around for two days and then went up on Cone Peak. We were actually driven there by the flies, which is part of the story. It was so annoying. We were going to stay in the valley, but we were getting flies. He had a mass like that and was full of, the screen was full of flies. So we went, let's go up. So we went up and uh, I'll leave out some of the story, but basically what happened was we did prayer and ceremony around the mushrooms, uh, divvied them up in some orange juice, took them with some orange juice. And then um, I sat, as did my friend Bellman. And then uh, one of the things you do, I don't want to be gross about this, but you, you vomit. You know, uh, you do that with ayahuasca or mushrooms. Typically, it gets rid of the substances that your body doesn't want to tolerate. I ended up on my knees at one point. Uh, after I had uh, loosened up and let go of some of the stomach stuff. And uh, things started happening, very interesting stuff. And that was that uh, I kept joking with Bruce, because I tend to do that, as you've noted a couple times here in our session. I kept uh, joking with him. You know, I'd, I'd go into the, the process with uh, these kind of psychedelics is one where you climb the mountain, then you go to a valley. You know, it's a resting period. Then you climb a little higher, et cetera, et cetera. Those of you who have done something like that, you know what I'm talking about. So um, I would uh, go through, it was probably about uh, 45 minutes or so into it. And my hand, uh, my right hand, uh, suddenly started in a, it com was completely dissociated, came up to my head, the top of my head, pushed my head down and said through my voice, and forgive me, but there's no fucking around with this. That tone of voice got my attention. And then a very interesting thing would happen. 
would start stroking my forehead very gently with that same dissociated hand. Like it wasn't really part of me. It felt that way very, very much so. And said, we love you. Brings me a little bit, it makes me a little emotional to say that. But he didn't mean just me. You know, it wasn't just me. It was humanity. This went on all night. You know, this uh, rock and roll stuff that went on. And the end result of the story is that I was given his name. But for uh, about four years, I was not allowed to pronounce it publicly or tell the story. So I think it had to gestate a bit. And uh, But he gave, finally, he gave me permission to use his name that he gave me on top of the mountain, one mile up, overlooking this beautiful view. Ana Ooto. I get very emotional about that, too, because he's been with me. I learned later that he has been with me since birth. When I died at six months old, and I have testimony from hearing my mother's voice, you know, the double pneumonia, uh, we really, we almost lost you. Well, they did lose me for a moment. But in a past life, or not a past life regression, but a regression, present life regression, uh, with a colleague of mine, unexpectedly went back into a regression at six months old. And I, a memory came to me of running to the gate. I call it the gate. You know, I'm out of here. And Ana Ooto was right there at the gate. And uh, he looked to me, the image that I got was of a Native American, long silver hair, you know, very ancient wisdom kind of face. And he looked at me, and I know that this is a podcast, so you can't see me, but he took his hand up right in front of my face with one finger up and moved it back and forth, the gesture, and then he, that kind of a gesture. And he said, not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Set me back. I ar- By the way, and this is me, I argued with him. I said, I don't want to go back there. Man, there's pain and suffering there. You know, I, I, I did this once already. You know, so <laughs> let's, let's just let me, let me out. Let me out. And he just kept going. Not yet. Anyway, Ana Oto, uh, I don't know the, if it's a language or an ancient language, it doesn't matter. But that was the name that was given to me. And I've obviously been, been permitted uh, to share the story and to share his name. You know, there's other ways to do this, by the way, other than just plant medicine. But that's probably the most significant uh, margarita that uh, experience I had where a spirit being was shown to me and continues to work with me even to this day. And I know unto my death, you know, he's going to be with me and help me cross over. I just know it. He's told me that too, by the way, but I just know it. So that's a very uh, strong experience, and it was related to plant medicine. But trust me, little things like I'm sitting there working on a one of my books, and I'm goofing off playing backgammon or something on the computer, and I'm in the back office, and suddenly there's this um, crow that flies into the office and hits the sliding glass door. And says very clearly, uh, he was okay, by the way. I let him out. He was okay. Uh, Basically said, um, get back to work. (laughs) Very clearly. I I hear things a lot in my inner voice. So that was a prompt really to stay with the path, you know, keep working. Small experiences like that, though, that can be very significant as you add them up. And again, I get a lot of my messages from spirit animals, not exclusively, but definitely. And from Ana Oto, who is um, 
definitely a guardian, uh, guardian spirit. So I, there's your story, Margarita. Long story, but I tried to, there's more to a little more to it, but that's basically the story. Thanks for sharing that. It's a really beautiful story. Great. Okay. We are, I think, at the end of our time. And I thank you all. We went a little bit over time and I apologize for that. You know, I don't know about technology, but uh, one by one, Aubrey, Lisa, Mark, Alexandra, Margarita, I am truly humbled uh, having you guys uh, join me. I am so grateful for that. So, so grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And more importantly, thank you for the work you're doing. I know that each and every one of you are on purpose. I know that. And uh, we're needed. Yeah, we're needed on the front line these days. Now more than ever. Now more than ever. So I thank you for that. Thanks for joining me. And I hope you join me for future episodes where I'll share some powerful healing practices and meditations. Introduce you to some amazing guests and friends of mine who will stop by for some conversation. And on occasion, I'll pull some oracle cards from one of my decks and do readings. I'll also share some of my original music that I'm sure you'll enjoy. If you like what I'm doing, please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to my show page on mindbodyspirit.fm where you can also get the free mobile app to listen to any of my shows or find some new favorites. If you'd like to contact me with questions, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram or send an email to info at drstephenfarmer.com. You can also find lots of material on that website, drstephenfarmer.com, so please feel free to explore. Please also know that by sending a question, you're giving me permission to possibly use it in a future podcast so others may benefit from it. And to close, I'd leave you with the four most important words to take with you. Gratitude, love, compassion, and forgiveness. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on The Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.